Hey y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 83. We are, what is today? 16th? We're, uh, December 16th. Away from Christmas. Number 83? What? Who's that? What's that? that was it's like Willie a Red, Galt. That's like, a, that's like a Red Bull car, right? It's Willie Galt, man. Remember Willie Galt? That's right. Didn't he wear number 83 for the Bears? Yes. Are you, we sure about this? Hold on, I'm Googling this mess here. Willie Galt. I think I misspelled Galt. I think I spelled Gualt. You know, we messed up. We should have each podcast picked our favorite athlete that wore that number of whatever episode it was. Yeah, see, I just, so I, I won't, I'm only here occasionally, but I just gave y'all an idea. <laughs> but we're at 83. We're <laughs> but yeah, but think about guys that drove 83, Marty. Uh, Brian Vickers. Brian Vickers. Right? Uh, yeah, Willie Galt was number 83. Yeah. Willie Galt, Tennessee. Famous 83s. Wasn't there a fame, like Mike Quick? Wasn't Mike Quick? No, Mike Quick might have been eighty-two. Yeah, Mike. Remember Quick Mike was, Quick for the yeah, dot, for the for the Eagles? Do I remember Mike Quick? He was my my favorite NFL player. Was he, he really? He was yeah. number eighty-two. He's number eighty-two. He played at NC State. Um, and oh, I uh, yeah, I before, when I was a kid, he was really nice to me at NC State. He yeah. was nice to you. Oh, oh my gosh, the best, dude. Dad, that's awesome. You know one thing about Willie Galt that he never has gotten. Uh, 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 ample credit for is that mustache. Oh yeah, no. Wow, I'm taking a look at that caterpillar right now, man. That thing is for real. So at Tennessee, there were always pictures of him, like all the All Americans, all that stuff, all over all the buildings, and he was, and Willie always had that mustache, and uh, yeah, he was the man. That dude, that dude could flat out fly. Mike Quick or Willie Galt? Both, both. Mike Quick was not as fast as Willie Galt, and Willie Galt was not as good a receiver as Mike Quick. Wasn't Willie Galt like a track guy that they turned into a hundred percent? Yeah. In fact, he was on the 1980 Olympic team, and more than likely was going to win a gold medal in the four by 100 meters at least. And um, but then they had the boycott. I mean, I'm looking at these pictures of Willie Galt. Was he a, a model too? Yeah. And because he's, still, he's got that these dude's so good looking. He's still man, he has day. these pictures yeah. that he has like that blue steel glare thing yeah. going on. He has yeah. to have been a model. He ran it. He ran like a ten ten in the hundred meters, and like a, a like a twenty and a half in the two hundred. I mean, he was he was the man. Yeah, there was a relay team. It was Willie Galt, Carl Lewis, Calvin Smith, who held the world record in the hundred for a long time. I'm trying to remember who the fourth guy was, Emmett King maybe, and they were going they were going to win the gold medal. And, I'm sitting uh, here, and I'm, I'm looking at a photograph of Willie Galt with a wiffle ball bat, and he's getting ready to smash a wiffle ball one-handed. Yeah. And, I mean, he looks like, I don't know when this picture was taken, but, man, he looks like he could suit up right now. No, he's, and he's got to be almost 60, close to it. But, yeah, number 83. Yeah, boy. There you go. How about that? We went off on a tangent. Red Bull Toyota. Down there. Great idea that we could have used that episode two or three. Thanks, McGee. Seriously. Yeah, well, y'all never had me on. We could have, we could have, uh, I mean, we could have had the welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume Charles Woodson, but alas, yeah. we did not. Yeah. We did not do that. Casey Kane drove that 83 car, didn't he? No, he drove the four car. He I turned it to number, when he went to Red Bull, second. when Casey went over to Red Bull, right. he requested to change the car to number okay. four. And All it right. would have never been episode Charles Woodson. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> J.K. Dobbins, what are the Chase I mean, Young? J.K. Dobbins, we hadn't even heard hey, his name when we did volume between, number two. Yeah, between the Tennessee guy and the Ohio State guy, there would not have ever been a Charles Woodson yeah, edition. Negative, there, Ghost Rider. Well, Jeffrey Earnhardt. That's y'all's fault. Um, 
Wow. All right. Well, welcome to Marty Smith's America. We have plenty of randomness to discuss today, as you can see, and it was quite a week for us both. Uh, McGee's here. Did I even introduce him yet? I think we just jumped in. No, parentheticals here. All right. Well, that's me. Uh, Ryan McGee, of course, my the brother. The other from guy from Wham. Here. Who has we a book Travis. out, by the way? Who has a book out? Wham? The other guy from Wham. What's his name? Uh, Andrew Ridgely. Is did it? I ever tell you that story? No, I, so I, 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 all right. So I did, I did a radio, you know, we, you and I both do constant radio hits with sports talk stations around the country. And we do. I was on with some jack legs from somewhere. I don't even know where it was. And the guy goes, Ryan McGee joined us now. Marty McGee. Hey, Ryan, what's it like to be the other guy from Wham and Marty McGee? That's not, that's not very nice. I know. And so there's this pause and I go, all right, let me tell you about the other guy from Wham. And those guys laughed. I go, no, no, no. I said, his name's Andrew Ridgely. I said, he wrote most of the songs. I said, which means he made the money. Mm-hmm. I go, and uh, George Michael went off and became a really big deal. I said, but Andrew Ridgely married the best looking woman from Bananarama and they bought a castle in Scotland and just made lots of money and got their royalty checks. I go, so being the other guy from Wham isn't bad. I said, even though you're trying to insult me right now. And I hung up. Oh, you hung up on him? Yeah, I was done. Wow, you slammed the phone in their ear? Slammed the phone in their ear. And when the producer tried to call back, I acted like a, I acted like I lost the connection. Like I, I got a bad sell somewhere. Yeah, that I was, was actually so pretty mad. rude. Yeah. That was pretty rude. I thought you'd enjoy that though. So. Andrew Ridgely. Yeah. Parents. So out. I got one for you that I realized recently and I was so proud of myself because I heard it's not the heat is on. It's, um, I heard a song on Thanksgiving Day. There's this band, and their name is The Power Station. Yeah. And I heard their song, Some Like It Hot. Right. All right? Some Like It Hot. Robert Palmer. Right. And I said to my whole family on Thanksgiving Day, this is Robert Palmer. Right. And they were like, no, it's not. Yeah, it is. I said, I'm telling you, listen to it. Yeah. It is Robert Palmer. And so then we asked the Siri or the Alexa or the whatever in the hell was playing the music. Right. What band it was, and it was the Power Station. I looked up the Power Station, and guess who's lead singer? Yeah. Guess who was the lead singer? Robert Palmer. Group. Yeah, it was him and a couple guys from Duran Duran. Yeah, man, Tony Thompson, uh, John Taylor, and Andy Taylor. I feel like you, someone questioning you two on music is just a bad business decision. Right. Well, especially like 80, I mean, 80 stuff. I mean, that's back when I was younger and thought I wanted to be a DJ when I grew up. And so my, and my daughter, who's the world's oldest 15 year old, you start talking to her about eighties tunes and it's over. What would your DJ name been? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, Hello, Rockingham County. Yeah. Hello, Richmond County, North Carolina. Oh yeah. Richmond County. Yeah. I used to make little cassette tapes. I need, that's what I need to, I need to dub some of those over to digital because me, Acting like a DJ when I was eight years old, and I sound like, I mean, I sound Well, we've heard your play-by-play action. Yeah, but that was when I was trying to be a grown-up. When I was like nine, and I'm like, hey, y'all. Laney has implored me to post. So my cousin, Jim Ed Wills, is a, he's an editor and does all kinds of different things on movie sets out in Los Angeles now. I know that. And he studied film, both he and his brother, my other cousin, Rich Wills, st- studied film at Florida State. Okay. Went to film school, like legit film school. Yeah. And so 
Recently, in the past couple of years, Jim Ed took all of our, the Smith family, VHS tapes and converted them to DVD, which is an exhaustive process. Right. And he sends us the DVDs. And while watching one of the DVDs, there is little nine-year-old Marty yeah. running around at Christmas time like a drunk hornet in a hamster cage, just like <laughs> bouncing off of stuff. And ultimately, my I start talking. And my my accent is so unbelievably thick. Lainey walks in the other room and she goes, come here, you have to look at this. And she turns it on, and I was mortified. She was like, you have to post this on social media. So you've been faking your accent since you were a little kid? Lainey yeah. said, yeah, since I, I, I learned that. Right. Learned it from you, Dad. I, uh, <laughs> I, she's like, you have to post this so that all of these idiots who think you're faking it can see just how bad it actually used to be. If only you had a podcast that we could put it on. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe someday we will. You know you what? I, I literally, I'm sitting in my office right now and I have a box of cassette tapes and, and I, my mom used to check out on the weekends. She was an elementary school teacher. She would check out the cassette recorder and bring it home just so I could spend the weekend acting like I was a DJ. That is so cool. Yeah. What, what would you say if you were to put together your top five, 10 year old Ryan McGee top five songs list? How old were you? When were you 10? Um, 80. Yeah. Early eighties. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I was I was big then in the Hall and Oats. Man, Hall and Oats were awesome. Dude, She's I was, a man eater. I was man eater was my favorite Hall and Oats song, and it was like man eater was, was good stuff. I was a Hall and Oats guy. I loved um, and I I I grew up in a Motown house. Like my my parents listened to uh, the Temptations and the Four Tops and um, you know, Stax records out of Memphis. I mean, my house was a lot of Otis Redding and, and all that. And like, that's joke, really good. I mean, that's, that's yeah. a really good foundation. The joke was always that the British invasion never made it to Rockingham, North Carolina because everybody, <laughs> everybody but Hall and Oates did. Yeah, Speaking yeah. of great mustaches now. Oh man. We come on about? now. John Oates. I was checking into the hotel at the Indy 500 one year there at the Weston where the three of us have been overserved. And I was standing in line checking in one year and I turn and look and standing right next to me was Oates. Did he have that stash? He did. And they had just been elected to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame like two days earlier. Oh man. And, and you talk about acting like a moron. Me <laughs> trying to introduce myself to Oates <laughs> and his manager's trying to explain to him, John, we got you checked in. And he's a big car guy. So he was in town for, for, the Indy 500, and it was like, I mean, I couldn't have acted. It wasn't quite, hey, MJ, <laughs> but it was pretty close. Have you ever seen the I Can't Go For That video? It's it's oh, the most phenomenal oh, thing you've ever oh. seen in your life, dude. Oh, It's got that shimmery, like, mysterious filter to it. Oh, yeah. And they, they do all the moves, and they're like, when when they do, you know, I can't go for that. No, oh, yeah. whoa, or no can do. The no can do's are hilarious. Oh, I just yeah. I rem I remember that video being especially ridiculous. They had a song called Adult Education. And Hello. that was kind of the it was almost the end. Like it was like that was when they were so overproduced at that point. But it was, I, mean, I just remember it being like in you know, an Egyptian pyramid and they're all banging on drums or something. I don't know. It just was, it was kind of peak 
There were like some super OTT super 80s. interesting songs back then. You remember that song about uh something or other dinosaur? Remember yeah. that song? Yeah, 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 yeah. Get uh, on, get the, on floor. the floor and do the dinosaur. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't I'm remember you, the name of that song. I the, should, the, but I don't. I'm telling you, eighties on eight on Sirius XM. That has been since my daughter was born. That has been you. you I, it's amazing. You, any eighty songs at all pops up, and my daughter was says, not daughter was just walk the dinosaur. There you go. My daughter sits there and goes, oh, "That's art of noise." People are like, "What?" How do you and you know this? what the album was called? What up, dog? What up, dog? <laughs> the terrible album cover too, wasn't it? Like it looked like looked like clip art. I'm telling you, dude, I know too much about this. Let's take a look at this gym right here. The image of, uh, what up dog? Uh, yeah, it does. It kind of looks like, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a drawing of a dog in the middle of the street on a leash. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'd call it abstract art, maybe. Abstract art. All right. Yeah. What up dog? I can't believe I'm sitting here Googling, uh, was not was what up, Don? But it's right great. Now. That's it's Don what, was. It's Marty and McGee. It's right. what we are. And that's Don was. That's the guy that, as a producer, I thought it was Don Was. I thought that's how you said his name. Well, was was not was was the band. I assumed it was how you pronounced it. I don't know. But this, <laughs> but this dude's like this dude's like either. been nominated for Oscars and won Emmys and, as a producer. Yeah, he's the man. So let's transition into our super interesting week. Right. Uh, McGee and I had the great opportunity to go down to Atlanta, Georgia. So awesome. And we were, for the second consecutive year, the, I don't, I guess we could call it tri hosts or co hosts or whatever. Uh, alongside Maria Taylor, we had right. the, the great opportunity to interview players and coaches on the red carpet of the 2019 Home Depot College Football Award program on ESPN. And it's so cool for us because it's a who's who. You're interviewing the best players in college football of that season at every position. All the guys who are up for the national awards that are awarded that night. And, and we kind of split it down the middle this year. Um, McGee did about half the guys. I did about half the guys and we had so much fun, but that was only the beginning of, uh, our interesting day. Uh, so, McGee and I met in a Starbucks before we were heading over to the red carpet. And earlier in the day, a story had posted on ESPN.com, penned by his truly, himself truly, he truly, however you say that. Yeah, I knew what you meant. And I'm just going to let you take it from there because I've never seen you like this before. So I wrote a story that I've been working on. So, so this was obviously was the CFB 150 year, 150th anniversary of college football. And so, uh, like Ivan Mazel has been working on this project for five years. And some of us were assigned stories that we worked on for a really long time. Like I have a story, uh, coming out in the middle of the week this week about Rudy Rudiger. I started working on that thing more than a year ago. And, but the one I really have spent the most time on is this story about OJ Simpson's two Heisman trophies. And for folks that don't know, uh, since Steve Spurrier in 1966, they have the Heisman Trust or Downtown Athletic Club, whatever the governing body was at that point, they award two Heisman trophies, one to the player, one to the school. And there was this incredible story of the two O.J. Simpson Heismans, and I'm going to make you all go read it on ESPN.com, but, but to, just to kind of sum it up, there was one on display at Southern Cal and Heritage Hall, which is an incredible building, a museum. 
and it was stolen from the USC campus. Uh, I mean, right at the height of, of the OJ trial, murder, the whole thing. It was just like eight days after the Bronco chase. And it went missing for 20 years. And was a, you know, they just assumed it was gone forever. And, uh, and then it was literally physically walked back into the building by the man that, uh, most people believe is what was at least involved in the theft in 1994. The other OJ Simpson Heisman, the one that OJ was actually handed in December 1968 was in his possession, but then he lost it, uh, in 1999, it was auctioned off after O.J. Law. Of course, we all know he was uh, found innocent in the criminal trial, but two years later was uh, lost the civil trial, a wrongful death suit, and uh, $33.5 million in damages he had to pay. Man. And so he was forced to auction off all of his belongings, and that included his 1968 Heisman Trophy. And there's a whole big, long story about them trying to hide it, and he tried to deface it. And eventually it was auctioned off for a quarter of a million dollars to this sheet metal wholesaler in Philadelphia who made a big deal out of it and went to L.A. and held a press conference and posed and all that stuff. Well, that guy was tracked back down by the Washington Post a few years ago, and uh, and I reached out to him a couple of times throughout the summer and the fall. Really want to talk to you, um, want to do this story. I even at one point said, you know, this might be, you can tell it's a pain in his ass. So I was like, hey, you know, I can make this thing go away once and for all. And he's, I don't want to really do a story. I don't really want to do a story. And I, the last question I asked him on December 2nd, uh, as I was finally writing the story was, okay, last question, um, Tom Creaseman, are you still in possession of the Heisman Trophy? And his response back was, yes, no further comment. That's all I said on December 3rd. So I wrote the story. Story posts last Thursday, and by the middle of the day, I've got people reaching out from Reno, Nevada, saying, that guy in Philadelphia doesn't have his thing anymore. I just saw it. It's in Reno. And so I start reaching out to people, and Marty, you and I are getting coffee at the Starbucks in our suits, about to walk across the street to the College Football Hall of Fame, and what happened? I'm waiting on our coffees. And this dude, like, how long? McGee and I have been friends for 20 years. Yeah. I've never seen him. All the color came out of his face. He walks away, just, just, just like, just disappears. I mean, he just wanders away <laughs> off into the nothingness of the, of the Christmas bliss right. lobby at the Embassy Suites in Atlanta. And I'm standing there in the Starbucks, and I'm, like, talking to him. I'm cutting up. Man, this is so cool we get to do this. I turn around. He's not even there. I'm talking to myself. I'm like, what the hell? Well, he comes back in, and he's real fidgety. I'm like, hey, man, you okay, bro? Everything all right? He's like, I found the Heisman. And I went, what? He said, I found the Heisman. The Heisman. There were some other choice words included there. The Heisman is in Nevada. Right. And I went, isn't OJ in Nevada? Yeah. And McGee goes, the Heisman and OJ are in Nevada. And that dude was on his phone the rest of the night. The rest of the night. It was, it was the craziest thing. And then, you know, then it becomes, and and Travis, you have asked, you asked this question of us one time on the Marty McGee radio show, which was, what is it like as a writer when 
you've worked on something and you throw it out there and then you wait for the reaction and then people start to question is this right or is it not and so you know i never once was worried about how i'd be perceived or how the story was perceived because the guy just lied to me and said he had it and the email that i received standing in starbucks was hey ryan it's tom this is the guy in philadelphia who bought the heisman at auction um rick this is the guy in reno uh has reached out to me and said you found him I was not honest with you. I'm paraphrasing, but he basically just said, you know, I was not honest with you about this. Uh, I sold this to him about a year ago. I was trying to protect him. I don't want to do a story in the first place, and I was trying to protect him. That's why, you know, I lied to you. And, um, and so now I'm trying to track this guy from Reno down. And this is all going on, by the way, while we are, I mean, we're, we're less than an hour away from going live on the red carpet at the College Football Hall of Fame. So, Travis, you have, you asked us that question before. And it is a it is the strangest sensation, and I don't know how people like our, our coworkers who are investigative reporters, like this is all they do all the time. Like I don't know how Mark Slaybaugh or Paul Levine or Jeremy Shap, I don't know how they do it all the time because I don't get nervous. My heart rate typically stays in the same range. I've always prided myself on staying pretty cool. But I thought I was going to damn pass out in that Starbucks because so did I. Yeah, it was crazy. It was just, it, it didn't last long because then it, then you go right into work mode. All right, let's figure out what what's the next step. And um, yeah, but but what a crazy story, right? I mean, it, it's it's um and you know it's and it's not over now. I mean, like you said, you and I both realized our our, our writer instincts kicked in. We both realized okay, now for the first time since 1999, OJ Simpson, who lives right outside of Vegas. And O.J. Simpson's Heisman are in the same state. It's an interesting sensation because, you know, all, all those years that I was a news, you know, news, whatever you call it, newsman in NASCAR, if you're, if you're working a news story and you feel like your sourcing is good enough that you're going to go ahead and report it, certainly in a breaking news situation, you go ahead and do it and you feel very confident in your sourcing, or you wouldn't do it. And you explain to your editors why you're confident in that sourcing. And then you put it out there, and then when something like that comes back that is a bit different variable than what you were led to believe, it's a really insecure moment for a second. And then you realize, wait a minute, you know, in your context, wait a minute, this ain't on me. This guy lied to me. Right. And so then you go, all right, I'm going to shift gears here. I'm going to find this guy in Nevada who owns this thing, and then we'll flush it out from there. It's just a really unique range of emotion that's hard to describe unless you've done it. Yeah. And it's, um, and yeah. And so, the, so Friday, I, you know, I had contact with the guy from Reno. Now it's, you know, trying to get the Heisman people to, now it's trying to get the Heisman people on. By, by the way, it's Friday afternoon, and it's their second busiest day of the year, second only to Saturday. And now here I am sending them a picture, going, "Hey, you think this is a legit Heisman?" <laughs> right? It's, yeah, it's just it's it's a but again, I I don't I don't um it has been I have so enjoyed this story, and I feel like I'll probably be updating this story for the rest of my career, the way this is going. 
um, because I certainly don't think the saga of, of, of the OJ Simpson Heisman trophy is over with, but it's, um, but again, tip of the cap to our friends who, who are breaking stuff like that all the time because it's, uh, it's a crazy time. It's a crazy world. You know, and again, this is, this was a history piece. This was not supposed to be a breaking news situation. And to those who knew, which was just a small And wouldn't have been people, had he been honest with you. Right, right. And, and, like, and, 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 I'll, and I'll say this too. He didn't want to do the story, but I'll say this. If you pay a quarter of a million dollars to buy OJ Simpson's Heisman and you hold a press conference in Hollywood and strike a Heisman pose and crack jokes, and all that, I got bad news, brother. Uh, people are going to be calling you and emailing you wanting to do stories about it. Well, also just say either don't respond or I sold it. That's all I'm going to say. I can't. Right. And then it's your your hands are clean from that's it. it. Yeah, and, 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 just, and just shove it off to the writer. You know, I sold it. Good luck. I'm not telling you anything past that. But it was an unusual. But, but that's part of the story, too, is the original version of the story ends with a quote from the art theft department detective from the LAPD who's retired now. He's he's amazing. Don Resick's his name. And, and and what what Don Resick said was he goes, you know, he said, I'm not saying that it's a curse to own something like an O. J. Simpson Heisman. And this is a guy who's recovered Picasso's and original Disney art animation and all this stuff. He said, I'm not saying it's a curse, but I'm saying it doesn't seem like it's a whole lot of fun. And I don't think it was a lot of fun for the guy that held the thing for 20 years. It certainly wasn't fun for the guy who stole it and uh, and couldn't unload it um, and then well, finally just gave up. And ironically, uh, that quote rings true all the way to our present moment where it's still being chased. <laughs> still. By me. It's amazing. Maybe this ties in it being cursed to how your night ended then. Well, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. So he spent, he spent the entire day, uh, at least the, the, the second half of the day, probably from 2 p.m. He and I had lunch together and then we parted ways for a few hours and went and prepped for the red carpet interviews and whatnot. And my whole goal was, all right, I want to take a nap. Right. And so I pass out for a while. I get up and tell him, Hey, let's meet down here to Starbucks at, 4.30, we're supposed to be across the street at 5. He comes downstairs, and he's just complete, like, just not right. I was going to take a nap, too, and that did not happen. It's because so many people started to contact him about where they believed the Heisman actually was. Right. And so, anyway, long and short of it is, he chases that thing the entire – all throughout – I mean, we're in commercial breaks. We're in commercial breaks at the red carpet show. <laughs> and McGee's, like, firing off his phone – yeah. I mean, he's typing on that thing so fast it's about to catch fire. And I'm looking down there like, you know, talking to Dabo Sweeney going, look at McGee down there, man. He's in the middle of a story and he is wearing that damn phone out. <laughs> and my, my poor, my producer, Megan, who's on the red carpet with me and her job is to say, all right, you know, here comes, uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, he's not, he's nominated for this, 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 and this, you know, and all, he, she's prepping me on everybody. And, and I know most of who, mo- thankfully I knew had interviewed everyone that came down there, except for maybe one of the guys. But I was like, I was, I told her, I said, you're going to have to feed me everything. Cause I right now am not even on this red carpet right now. And then, I mean, it, <laughs> and then at the very least we started, think we're going to get out of there. At the very least we think, all right, we're blowing out of here. And it didn't happen. So we get out of there. We, we had to stay 
until the the awards were over because we had to do some post show interviews with Joe Burrow, Chase Young, and Casey O'Brien, who won the Disney Spirit Award. If you guys haven't seen Casey's story, it's the most humbling thing you could ever imagine. He's beaten cancer four times and is the uh, a placeholder for the Minnesota Golden Gophers and made his collegiate debut versus Rutgers earlier this year. Gene Wojciechowski did just a tremendous, tremendous emotional feature on college game day about Casey. And so we had to interview those three athletes after the program. And we had a plan. We were going to blow out of there after those interviews, run up to our rooms, grab our clothes and whatnot, bags, throw them in McGee's truck, and get in the wind. Our hope was to be back to the Charlotte airport to my truck by about 1.45. And that did not happen. Travis, I outsmarted us. I outsmarted myself. I uh, I could have parked, given my keys to the valet at the Embassy Suites, and I'm thinking, you know what? We're not going to have time to deal with this. So I parked in the lot next to the hotel, and it was like 10 bucks for like eight hours. And at the time, we thought we were leaving at 7 o'clock, so we're good. And so I parked that thing in the gravel lot next to the hotel, literally pointed at the exit. Like, I'm proud of myself for this. And we grab our stuff, and we get out to the truck, and there is a boot on the truck. Not just one boot. There are two boots. Yeah, why did they put two boots on there? I don't know. Um, it was pretty excessive. It was a little excessive. And uh, it also was excessive in the fact that the thing had expired about 15 minutes before we got to it. And so uh, that guy was hiding in the in the bushes over there waiting to put the boot on that, the two boots on that truck. So we were mad, and we're sitting in the truck. We had to wait, what, what, what like 20 minutes? 30, probably. Yeah, and the guy finally shows up, and... You know, I got to pay a, fi- a fine to him, and he's taking the boots off the truck. And as he takes the second, as he walks from the first one to the second one, I see him look into the truck. And Marty is sitting in the passenger seat and is in his phone, right? So his face is like lit perfectly. It's terrifying. <laughs> and it's pouring down rain, yeah. And I'm mad, and I'm just like, dude, let's just get this over with. And so he, I see him look in the truck, and there's that, there's that, thing that people's eyeballs do when they recognize marty and so and i reckon I, I know it well because usually i'm taking a picture of marty with somebody right after that because i'm because i'm the parenthetical uh i'm andrew ridgely so so the guy Whatever, goes man. to get the boot off the second he gets the second boot off the truck and I, he goes i need that ticket and i pull the sticker ticket off my window and i hand it to him and i literally have got one foot up on the step and i'm getting in the truck and the door is open and he goes hey man is that marty sitting in your truck and i go yeah and he goes can i meet him and i go no and i shut the door and we drove off (laughs) i was crying and marty didn't even hear it and we 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 hit we hit peach street street blasting out there i looked at him i said did you hear what just happened he goes no and I told him that story, and and and, and then Travis, what do we do? You Facetimed me, and I just right. started to, losing it. <laughs> we had to tell Travis that story. I was completely oblivious. I, I, you know, to McGee's point, when you're, I don't, 
I don't live in my phone when I'm at work. And then once you're done with work, you go like check all the, well, not all the texts. You check, check some of the texts some of the that text. you get and, and you're replying to people yeah. and you're posting on your social media channels, you know, your, your pictures that you've taken, all that stuff that, that you do. And so I was completely oblivious to this and we get six blocks away and McGee goes, Hey dummy, did you see what just happened? Did you hear that? And I went, no, bro. Sorry. Sorry. What, what, what's up? And he says, that guy pulled them boots off the truck. And the first thing he says is, Hey, is that Marty? Is that and, Marty? and he goes, and I go, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, can I talk to him? And I went, no. And jumped in the truck and gassed it up. I mean, slammed the door in the guy's face. Hilarious. No. Ugh. <laughs> what a, what a night. And then we always talk about Marty McGee after dark. If, I'm I'm so glad that no one could hear the conversation that we had. I mean, the the, the it was an all timer four hour conversation. Well, I'll say this: it's about three and a half hours because at one point, and and it's like well, it's, it's I mean it's one in the morning, and we're getting close to Charlotte, and Marty and I are, we're going through our list: who's the biggest jerk you ever interviewed, and you know all this <laughs> stuff, and you know and I remember so and so back in the day or whatever else, and. Marty asked me a question. I gave this big, long, eloquent answer, and I look over there, and he was out. You were asleep. Oh, I did. I told Laney yesterday. In I the window. out on you, man. Yeah. Oh, it's fine. I, well, I, I couldn't it, do it anymore. Well, and originally, so ha, we thought Marty ha, might have to drive my truck so that I could write, you know, OJ my Simpson. OJ update. But the um, but then we, we the OJ update got delayed until uh, – the next week we should mic you guys up on one of your car rides and then i'll edit i'll, I'll, I'll clean it up no you don't know no, there's no cleaning it up <laughs> nope, nope it'd be like no, putting a tarantino no movie on on the lifetime channel yeah there's no you can't do it you can't clean it up yep that's not happening uh so after i woke up i don't even know how long how long is i sleep you think i maybe maybe 20 minutes not long uh, i just remember when i woke up i was like oh no i fell asleep on him i wonder if he noticed <laughs> And I look over to my left, and McGee's just hopping it on down the highway. And I look up, and it's like Charlotte Airport next yeah. exit. I was yeah. like, "Oh my gosh, I bet I've been asleep two hours." No, no, no. You you went to sleep. You went to sleep. Uh, you might have been asleep. You might have been asleep forty minutes. You went to sleep on right on the other side of Spartanburg, and I was hauling freight, man. And then uh, I did my very best. I oh no, you did great. Man. Well, whenever whenever we start getting into the lists, all right. You know, who's the four worst guys you ever talked to? Or who's the, you know, fifth, who's your five, top five least favorite racetracks? Once we start getting into the list, all we're trying to do at that point is stay awake. Doing that July radio talk. <laughs> it's, it's, well, the July radio talk, at least we're hopped up on caffeine. We tried. We, we tried. stopped down there at the QT. Right. And we bought a few snacks and we <laughs> bought a couple of those blood congealer lattes. Right. And you didn't drink that's probably what happened. I bet the brain, I bet the oxygen got cut off towards You didn't my drink brain. any of it though. Cause I cleaned the truck out Saturday morning. I was like, yeah. I just said, you like, I could edit That's it. okay. You, we got a beat button, son. We got a beat button but for we, the uh, Mr. America. You got a little podcast. too comfortable in here. No, I, but I, I cleaned out the truck Saturday. Did I leave and, a lot? Uh, oh yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. man, I said, I appreciate him entertaining me of getting this, uh, getting this, uh, congealed, uh, blood clot. Latte, but uh, Man, he, it does, he, he didn't drink any of it. It's if so delicious. If I had delicious, a cut though. on my arm, we could pour that latte on, and it just clot right up. It's delicious, though. 
like that orange stuff those guys at Clemson put on my nose last year, about a year ago. Remember I hit myself in the face with that yes. disc of lip balm and yes. cut my whole damn nose wide open? Yeah, I still have a scar somehow. One day, when we write our book together, we write the Marty McGee book. We should you do. You think that thing would sell, Travis? Yes, I want to know who would write. We the, did a Marty and McGee book. Who would do the forward? Ooh, uh, Dale Junior. Maybe Jimmy Johnson. Maybe Dale Junior would do the forward for us. We've been. Uh, I think it would probably be the the best. That'd be a good one, right? That'd probably be the best option. The uh, it it make people pay attention. Yeah, we need Joe that. Burrow, Joey Football. Yeah, get Joey football, Joey right. football right. Get him right. That's a good call. Maybe he can send you photos of his Heisman. You can compare. <laughs> not only, <laughs> uh, yeah, because not only were we, uh, not only were we on board the Joey football bandwagon early on, we we, we put the tires thing. on it and put gas in it. We sure did. We drove that thing, son. We took that thing to the DMV to get it registered. Um, let me tell you about Sunday. So. Uh, my buddy Jason Seahorn and his wife Megan have tickets to the Panthers. And we've been trying to get together with them for a long time, and we decide, let's meet at the Panthers game. That'll be fun. So we go to the Panthers game, and before the Panthers game, I had done – so I had worked out really, really hard in the morning and didn't eat. And, you know, I'm super dehydrated. When I get to the bar, we went to the Mellow Mushroom before we went to the game. And I had a couple beers. And then we went to the game, and I had a couple more beers. And these weren't like Coors Lights, man. All right, these were Charlotte local brewery IPA-level bombs. Right. And we have a couple more of them. And, I'm, you know, it's midway through the third quarter, and I'm like, y'all, I'm kind of kind of hammered. <laughs> and everybody else was hungry. So they were like, we're going to go up here. Bojangles is right outside the mm. – uh, Yes. Yeah. The Bojangles right outside our tunnel to get to the seats. And so they go up there and I don't, I don't know a whole lot about Bojangles. I know about Bowberry biscuits and I know about their sweet tea and all those things, but I don't know like the names of the meals, but Seahorn's like, get me a chicken supreme with fries. Yeah. And I'm like, well, Jason's really fit. He just ran the New York marathon in three hours and 15 minutes or something. Right. Yeah. I'll have one of those too. You know what that is? That is eight. Bojangles chicken fingers. Eight. Eight. It might be not, six, but I think eight. I this think is eight. Not, uh, this is, I'm not sure what Bojangles you're going to. It's usually like three. No, no, it wasn't three. No, sir. It was at least six, but I think it was eight and a large fry. And I got, they didn't have any buffalo sauce, which I was anticipating eagerly. It's, it's, it's four. Not, it's honey four. mustard. Honey mustard, though. It is not four. Bojangles honey mustard. You got the seahorn special. Yeah, you got Hold something on, different. Hold on a minute. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm on Google. See, he never orders it, and I order it all but the time. But it's a football game one. It, it's not the at one the you stadium? get the drive through. At the stadium, it's usually like two. How many, Laney, come here, honey. How many chicken strips were in the – <laughs> it was eight. It was not eight. We just heard her say three or four. You, I'm Lane telling you, you got the Seahorn special. You got the Jason Seahorn Skybox specials. What you got? All right. Well, the rest of us peasants gave me we the get three. trophy. Yeah. So anyway, long story short, I eat that food and so good, like, man. That was pretty good, man. That was pretty good. 
Um, I'm pretty sure I'll be paying for that decision for the next week. Why? My body, my body uh, is not accustomed to <laughs> such culinary delicacies. Yeah. Honey mustard, just so you know, the honey mustard is the way to go. Better than barbecue sauce? Oh, so I'm, that, I'm not a honey mustard that, fan. No, but that, but I know I'm not either. But the Bojangles honey mustard dipping sauce is legit. Do y'all know about LeBron James and Bojangles? Yes. Yeah, I wrote a story no. about this for Enlighten me. ESP in the magazine. I mean, I don't know when LeBron's rookie year was. To 03? Yeah, all right. So, 03, LeBron, like the Hornets are still the original Hornets. And they're in the old Charlotte Coliseum, the Hive. And LeBron comes into town as a rookie. And Bojangles always been a big Hornets supporter. And as the team is leaving, they have, like, box meals in their lockers. Like, take this with you on the bus back to the airport. And LeBron gets on the bus and starts eating his Bojangles chicken and has, like, a religious experience. And he starts walking around the bus offering up cash to buy everyone else's Bojangles. <laughs> and so from then on. Sure got that eight-piece uh, chicken tender box. Yeah, right? You got the Jason Seymour chicken tender box. you got that chicken box. supreme eight-piece. Huh? Right, which no one's ever gotten. So he... He goes the rest of his career, and the Hornets, the the current edition of the Hornets, they verified this for me a couple of years ago. His entire career now, he gets one of those, like it's a standing order. The guy that takes care of the visiting team, they get him like one of these gigantic. They call it a bow box. It's one of these gigantic like tailgating boxes of chicken, and LeBron takes that on the takes it home with him and lives Is off. Is it of bow it. to go? I think it's bow to go, but it's called like a. You ever had bowberry biscuits? Yeah, yeah, bro. Have you? Yeah, man. Get some bow rounds. See, y'all got to understand how good Bojangles is because if Marty's eating it, like if Marty's going through the drive-through and ordering, no, no, I didn't say that. No, no, no. I'm saying I've been to a party or two that has some bowberry biscuits, and I did partake in them some guns. Well, the fact that you ate any at all is my point. That it must be pretty good. It's a big step for me. Yep, big step. Big step. Well, it's a good step. Um, on top of all that, our boy Joe Burrow won the Heisman Trophy and gave one of the best speeches I've ever heard. He did not write his thoughts out. He did not uh, put his impressions on paper. He walked up there and just went straight from the heart. And I loved that he, when his name was called, the very first thing he did was go embrace every single coach, his parents, uh all the way down the LSU line, Steve Inzminger, Joe Brady, Coach O, Mom and Dad, you name it, he's hugging them. And then he goes over and hugs Mickey Marotti and Ryan Day because they both were integral in that path as well. And what he said about Coach O was beautiful. You don't see Coach O uh, get weepy very often. Yeah. I've never seen it before, in fact. No. Uh, that was very, very cool to witness. And Here, do you I want love to, do what he do you want to hear what he had to say about Coach O? Uh, why don't you play it, son? Coach O, you have no idea what you mean to my family. You know, I didn't play for three years. You took a chance on me, not knowing if I could play or not. And I'm forever in your, forever grateful for you. Can you imagine a guy like Coach O giving me the keys to, to his football program? He just means so much to me and my family and to LSU. I sure hope they give him a lifetime contract. He deserves it. <laughs> 
He does deserve it. Um, those two guys were just united at the right time and for reasons that are so much larger than we can even comprehend. They're two guys who got a second chance and who appreciate that second chance so greatly and have such great perspective on what those second chances are, both of them. Uh, I, I, I have to believe that when Joe Burrow came to Baton Rouge, he thought he, might, thought he might have a great opportunity to earn a starting job. There's no way, there's no way anybody on the planet could have ever dreamed this. I'm just so happy for him. Uh, I said afterwards that it feels a little different for me watching Joe win the Heisman and the response to him winning winning the Heisman because there are so many people along the way from the plains to the bayou, from the shoe to Death Valley, who have taken ownership of his path and are so proud of him because he's the embodiment of every dream. He's the embodiment of the American dream. I came from nowhere. I came from a, a tiny little town in Ohio and I went to Ohio State and it didn't work out there. Those dreams became an obstacle and he faced, faced obstacles there, whether it was injury or unbelievably talented competitors. Then he gets his degree. And he makes his way to Louisiana, of all places. Has a season there that went pretty well. And then, due to several circumstances that are like from the cosmos, which I guess is apropos for him. he That's a word on Marty and, and McGee, no, by the totally way, in case you guys yeah. didn't know that. Uh, he He has the most prolific season in the history of the Southeastern Conference. As a quarterback, it's the dream. I, 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 it's just remarkable to see. Well, that's one thing I think people don't realize that aren't Ohio State fans is if not for a broken wrist, he might have been ahead of Dwayne Haskins. Like it, it was that close. Yeah. I went to Columbus and I talked to Urban Meyer about this, what that was like for him and Ryan Day. They charted every single play, not every drive, not the outcome of every drive. Not situational. They charted every damn play. One day, it was Burrow. The next day, it was Haskins. And ultimately, Dwayne won that job. And that wasn't the wrong choice, by the way. No, it worked Dwayne out threw for well. 50 touchdowns yeah, and was a Heisman well. finalist himself. Right. And so... It's just, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it, the, the chances of this happening are, are so small as to probably be unquantifiable. How about that for a big Marty and McGee word? That is a big word. My, so my favorite part of this whole thing, I go back to, talking about Ohio State, I go back to, I went up to Columbus, what, end of September and talked to Justin Fields. And it was the first time I'd had a chance to talk to him since he'd left Georgia. I didn't go to Columbus in the spring. And he was talking to me about, you know, that first week in Columbus in January, and it's like 18 degrees, and he's thinking, the hell have I done here? And people in the state of Georgia won't be in particularly nice to his family. Um, his, daughter, his sister's still going there. 
and uh, and he just was talking about you know there was a he, he was leaving like he's like you know what this was a mistake I'm out never lived anywhere other than the state of Georgia his whole life and then Chase Young showed up and said let's go play some basketball and I asked Chase Young about it the other night at the red carpet at the College Football Awards and he was laughing he said I remember it but but I remember the, but I say all that to say this. One of my favorite quotes of the year was Justin Fields looked at me and we were talking about Joe Burrow and we were talking about Jake Fromm. We were talking about Justin Fields. We're talking about Jalen Hurts. We're talking about, you know, Miami, Washington, all these schools playing these transfer quarterbacks and also the quarterbacks that stayed there, like Jake Fromm, Tua, all those guys. And what, what Fields said to me was he said, imagine if we couldn't transfer. He said, there's so right. many great quarterbacks. He said, if we couldn't transfer, half of us wouldn't be playing at all this year. And he used the word sad. He said, that would be so sad to me. But we're all playing and having great years. And he's like, and we're all rooting for each other. He said, until we, until we're, you know, until we're on the field against each other. He said, that's awesome. I just, what a, what an amazing year. And there's three transfer quarterbacks standing up there as three of the four finalists for the Heisman Trophy. And um, I just think it's, I just think it's, it, it's. I couldn't have seen that story coming. Did you hear the no. tr- trash talk that Chase does to Justin Fields in practice? So funny. Yeah. Where he goes and if Justin doesn't do, do something, he goes, Joe would have made that play. Yeah. <laughs> I love how much Joe's former teammates love him. I yeah. love how, that's just not something you see very often. No, huh? It's it's not something that is a, a typical reaction to. And again, this is an unprecedented scenario, but nonetheless, the fact that a player left a program and had success is not unprecedented. You don't see guys from that quarterback room go down there wearing the other wearing that jersey. To support that former teammate. Right. It, it just goes to show the way that he operated in that room. You don't see players return to that school. Last year during a bye week, he went to Ohio State and he was walking around the facility as if he was still a current player at Ohio State. You, when right. Baker and Kyler Murray won their Heisman, you didn't see their former teammates speaking out the way that Joe Burrow's teammates have. Yep. Right, and, and it's it, just so different too. Just, I mean, it's just it's, it's just it's just a different world, and 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 that's part. Of, I think it's part of what Justin Fields was talking about, which was and and this was right after the press conference where he'd sat there and and said to so many people's shock, which shocked me, they were shocked. Him talking about not going to campus and taking his cl- handful of classes that remain to graduate online, and how he lives in the football building, and you know, it's just a different world now, and as a result. I mean, well, well, you know, all the guys from Clemson who got on an airplane and flew to Columbia, Missouri, right. you know, to support, you know, Kelly Bryant in his spring game. It's just, I think these guys just, it's just a different, it's a different world. It's like when you, and they're all in constant communication, right? I mean, I have a teenage daughter and you have a teenage son and it's just, you're in constant communication, but you never actually see anyone. And so these guys are all, they stay friends. There's not... People want to pit all this bitterness, right? They want to create all this this tension sometimes because it's a rival team or because it's a you know a guy left or whatever. And most of the time now, it's uh, 
they all seem like they all like each other, which is great. Well, it's it, it's interesting to me too because you know when I, when I was talking to Urban Meyer in Columbus, I asked him whether or not he ever believed this was plausible for Joe, and when he knew that it was going to be a different Joe Burrow, and he said it was this past summer they met together. Joe went up there and, and met with Urban for a while, and he said that he could tell right then that it was going to be so different because he he just he believed in the talent around him so much and the system and still I just it's just a once in a lifetime type of thing. Yeah, I mean you just don't, what, what you don't great, see it. It's just an amazing it's an amazing story and. You know, you, you have said it a hundred times this year, and I'm so glad you have because it's so true, which is that, you know, the underreported part of this sport is I can't remember a time when there were this many good kids, um, in this many, in, in these positions and having these types of years all at once. It's just, it's, they're just, they're good kids. Listen, there's bad ones. And there's guys that are always going to try to ruin it for everyone else. But, but, not, but, but 2019, I can't ever remember this many good dudes, good young men, um, having such high profile seasons. And, uh, no matter how much people try to slant it the other way, it's just not true. They're good dudes. I also just love Joe talking about where he came from. Yeah. Oh, like if you could so hold great. it together during that part of it, I don't, like, I don't know how, like I watched it coming back from New York City on Sunday and, it was just moving to hear him talk about where he comes from and the kids that grow up there, they can become him too someday. We're fortunate to do this, boys. Um, I'm so grateful and I'm glad we got to, I'm glad we get to live it. I mean, we don't, we don't just get to see it. We get to live it and it's a unbelievable blessing. Um, you know, sometimes when you own a business, hiring can be challenging. Do you know that McGee? You know, I know that because of you. Well, I can see why. Could you tell me? There is one place you can go where hiring is, in fact, not a challenge. It's actually simple, fast, and smart. Growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. Just ask Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner. She experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a new game artist to grow her education tech company. Then she switched to ZipRecruiter. And what happened? She saw an immediate difference. You can too by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And by using ZipRecruiter screening questions to filter candidates, Gretchen found it easier to focus on the best ones. And then she found the right one. In fact, after posting her job on ZipRecruiter, Gretchen said she was so surprised she found qualified candidates so quickly and hired a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder four of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash M-A-R-T-Y. And that is volume Willie Galt of the Marty Smith's America podcast. McGee, Travis, thanks for hanging out. I appreciate it. Good luck on OJ Simpson. <laughs> Never and, end the uh, story, son. And uh look, man, everywhere we go, and I mean it, we are so appreciative when we have the opportunity to fellowship with our law enforcement officials. We appreciate our policemen keeping our 
community safe, our first responders, our firemen and women, and everything that they do. And as we always do, man, that Army Navy game, watching the beginning oh. of that thing is just a spiritual experience. It's the it's, best. It's amazing. It's like that whole thing about, you know, 364 days a year, they are brothers shoulder to shoulder. That one day a year, son, it's on. It's literally the only game where you know the players are willing to die for you. Yeah, man. Like, man. Well, all I know is my dad officiated more than 400 Division One games, Rose Bowls, Orange Bowls, National Championship games, whatever, and the two that he would never trade back for anything in the world are the two Army Navy games he did. What a spectacle. It's just it's just so awesome. It it, it like seems so pure and and it just matters and it's just awesome to watch the pageantry at the beginning. I've actually personally never experienced it. I look forward I know to it's that not someday. an SEC game, but can we take Marty McGee on yeah, TV of there next we year? Like, yeah, we need to do can. that. Yeah, no, it's the best. No, it's it's the absolute best. And that game it's funny we were doing these roundtable shows for CFP 150, and it was greatest rivals and this and that. And, you know, the Iron Bowl is the Iron Bowl. And, you know, Ohio State, Michigan's – I mean, all, all these incredible games. And I always let everyone else finish what they're saying. And I go, Army, Navy. I get up and leave the room. Because it's – all due respect to all the rest of them, the other ones have more on the line. The other ones mean more when it comes to the national championship, whatever else. But, uh, but nothing – ever tops that experience and every american uh, if it's not on your sports bucket list then you need to put it at the top right now we appreciate our military members all over the world for their sacrifice and for working so hard and selflessly to ensure that we live in the greatest nation on the planet we are free we are free what an amazing blessing I appreciate you boys. Have a good one, guys. We'll try better next time. That's Marty Smith's America, Marty and McGee's America, Volume Willie Galt. We'll try better next time around. Have an awesome week.